Good morning. How are we? Doing all right? Don't mind if I sit right here? Is that okay? Changing it up on you. If you've been around a little while, you're used to it. Uh, if this is your first time, we are glad you're here. You wouldn't know the difference. You think it looks like this all the time and that this giant table was always in the room. But it, yay has not. It is uh, its first appearing. Um, if you are visiting with us, we're glad you're here. And I, I hope you find this to be a place where um, God is sought wholeheartedly and a place where his presence is desired wholeheartedly by his people. And we hope you're welcomed in this place. We're, we're glad you're here. Uh, if you are a guest with us, do us a favor. There's a card in the back of the seat just in front of you. It's a gray card. That's our guest card. At some point during the, during the service, fill that out. Uh, drop it in the brown wooden box at the back of this room. That's our offering box. If you would, make that your offering to us. That's all we ask. We'd love just to have a record of your visit and be able to pray for you and answer any questions that you, uh, that you list there that you need answers to. So, um, you guys ready to jump in? 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Uh, next week starts a new series, and the new series is Ephesians. Are you guys waiting for me to explain to you why this table's here? Or can I just go ahead into the message? I got to explain. Okay. Uh, while you're turning to 2 Timothy, because today you're going to notice I'm not putting the uh, verses on the screen. Sometimes they are, but uh, today they are not. And uh, maybe you'll figure out why. We're going to start Ephesians next week, and uh, I'll tell you about that more at the end of, of the message today. But uh, what are we doing here with this table? Why did we move the chairs around? Why are you guys staring at those people? And uh, why is this whole awkward thing going? It was, it was really just a massive experiment on my part to see how many of you would try and squeeze in right in there, okay? And what brave souls would, would sneak in over here? And then during the music, would, would you, you know, turn enough to where you didn't have to be looking at each other? And, and how is it all going to play out? I, I, just, I just like to mess with you like that is the real reason. No, that's not the real reason. Um, this isn't my message, but, uh, and, and I thought about just taking the whole time to really explain what this means, but I, I just haven't felt led to do that. But I, I will give you uh, a brief summary of what, what's going on here and why this adjustment in the new year. And I think it does relate somewhat to our message of changing our focus this morning. Um, if you've been in here before, much like typical churches, we started out when we moved into this building, rows of chairs. Maybe we had a center aisle. Maybe we had two aisles. We mixed it up on you a little bit, got wild and crazy, went to two aisles after the, just the center aisle. But we just had aisles going. And everybody was facing forward, right? And I was up here, and the band was up here, and, uh, and, and, and uh, Preston, who was here at the time when we first started, he was you know, more front and center, and, and I was up here. And uh, I know I remember initially I felt like, man, I'm just like on top of you guys. And I'm like looking down upon you. Uh, and uh, that was just kind of weird. And so then I started using a stool and Preston uh, kind of moved back. And then when Ricky got here, Ricky and I talked and I said, I said, Ricky, you know, do you want to be in, you know, in the limelight? And he's like, no way. So I said, well, just go back. I said, if you want to sit down, sit down. So he moved back there as far as he could. And he got a stool. And, uh, and so that worked for a little while. And then I felt like um, and he, you just have to know about me. This is how God, I think, works with me because I'm, I'm not real sharp. He just kind of gives me pictures sometimes or maybe just a single word as to how my life needs to change or how maybe us as a congregation needs to readjust our focus or, or change things. And, 
And so a while back, uh, when we were all in our straight, you know, nice, even filed rows, all looking this way, we'd come in, we'd get our bulletin, we'd sit down, we'd pick our favorite seat, and we would watch the show, or at least that's how I felt. Now, what you guys know, if you've been around long enough in uh, Christianity in America, is that that is very typical, is that we file into churches every Sunday morning, we punch our time clock, so to speak, and we put in our hour, and then we go home and we go back to our regular lives. And it felt like to me that we were helping, we were helping to foster that sort of superficial Christianity in just a very simple thing like, come on in, file into your row, and most of you sat like four or five rows back so I wouldn't spit on you. And uh, you watch the show, you do your thing, you watch, you watch these guys up here, they sing, and you join in a part, but they're really the worship guys. And then you watch me, you listen to me do my thing, and I did my little dog and pony show or whatever it was, and I tried to make you comfortable for 30 minutes, 45 was stretching you, and then you did your time and you went home. And I, and I felt like uh, even though our church was, has always been trying to go away from that sort of thing, that we were f- still fostering that. And so here's what we did. This was my bright idea. I came in uh, one day during the week, and I said, let's just, let's just move the chairs a little bit. And so you got what you remember most recently was that curve, right? And so we still had three sections, two rows, but we curved. I took the outside chairs, and I curved them a little bit. And I, I, I was talking about, at the time, us becoming more of an authentic body of Christ, and, and we were talking about what it means to be a family of God, and, and I felt like, okay, maybe if we can kind of just turn this thing inward a little bit, we will, it'll help to foster, not just filing into your rows and checking your, your time card, but it'll help to foster that, hey, we're in this together, and so it, I felt it kind of brought us a little bit together. In a similar way, not too long ago, uh, I, was, I was here and uh, during the week, and no one was in here, and 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 this was the picture. And I, I feel like um, as we are approaching the end of our sixth year and we will begin our seventh year as a church the first Sunday in March, and you'll hear more about what we plan to do with that later. But as I begin to think about, God, what direction, what direction do you have for us as we move into our seventh year? You know, do you have any tweaks for us? Do you have any changes, any adjustments for us? I... I started to think back to that coming in, that, that curving in, becoming more and more of a family. And the encouragement I had from the Lord is to continue to head that direction and maybe to take another step in that direction. That we are, as a body of Christ, as Cornerstone Church, we're not about coming in here and just doing our hour and, and going home. We, we want to be people, we want to be Christians who love our God who love each other in a real and authentic way and who are taking seriously our role in freeing this world, taking the gospel to this world. And so, and so that requires authenticity. That requires um, us being real, not just with God, but with each other. And so I, I looked around and I thought, well, what if, God, what if, we, what if we move it, what if we circle in the troops even more? And so you get this whole theater in the half round sort of thing. And what I, what I practically knew would happen is these guys are going to have to be staring at these guys while we're talking about this. Yeah, just wave. If my brother starts to make faces back there, I just... Yeah, okay. Already has. How did I know? I'm just glad he's not sitting in front of me. So. But I knew you guys were going to have to face you guys, and you guys can now see you guys. And not just during the Word, but during worship, 
Look, it's not real complicated. But here was here was my leading. It's time that we face each other in a in a more real way. It's time that we uh, we become even more authentic. That direction that God has always, I felt, been pushing us towards. Let's let's take a leap this year. Let let's let's push it even further. Let's push ourselves even further. And and, and so what if? If, if now you see each other during worship. I mean, what might that do to encourage you, to challenge you? I mean, are you free to stand and lift up your hands in front of the Lord if, if God tells you to? Are you, are you free to, to stop singing and just be humbled by, by God if, if he tells you to? Knowing that we here as a body of Christ, we're all, we're all here together. We're all here together. And so I would ask you to ask God to uh, help him translate this physical change in your heart. Let him, let him make it make sense to you. Where in your life do you need to become more authentic? Where in your life do you need to open yourself to others in the body of Christ? How willing are you to face and be, be family, be an encouragement to one another? Here's... Here's one thing I know over these first six years of the church is that good, bad, and ugly, man, in Christianity, we need each other. We need each other. And sometimes even beyond our own family units, if we don't, if we don't make use of those people who are in the body of Christ with us, it is a hard road and it is a tough world. Um. I put the table in the middle because I, I had this idea that, um, that there's something about coming together around, around the dinner table as a family that, that makes a difference. Yeah? You guys agree? Like the, the, that focusing as a family time, that, that coming together and eating a meal together, I know what that does for, for my family. And um, I, I kind of saw this as a place where we would, we would gather around God's table at times um, this will be where we share communion as a family. Right now, as we open his word, um, we are gathered around his table, his word being central to us. So a little bit of symbolism, a little, little bit of symbolism going on this morning and for who, who knows how long. Ask God what he wants you to do with it. Okay? Is that good? All right. So, um, I was going to start Ephesians today. They had a slide ready for Ephesians and all that, and, uh, and I told them, hold on. I got to thinking about this Bible in the center of the table and um, what the centrality of God's Word means. And I've been in a couple of series uh, over the last few months up to the holidays, and uh, we've been doing a couple of things where we focused more on concepts, theologies, uh, topics, if you will. And it's been a little while since we've been in a book and walked through a letter in the New Testament or, or a book in the Old Testament. Uh, but we're about to do that again, and I'm, I'm anxious to do that. We are going to go through Ephesians. And if, you, if, uh, if you've never been through Ephesians, let me just say this today, and I'll give you more next week. Um, Ephesians is, it is by many, many uh, big dog scholars, uh, far beyond me, the guys you read about in biographies, etc., from long, long ago all the way up to now. It is, 
It is that letter that is elevated by many. Not just for its writing, but for the amount and the beauty of the content held within. You're going to get in the first half of the book such rich theology. You're not going to get any commands, but you're going to get rich doctrine. It's like Romans just shrunk down. And then in the last half of the book, you're going to get practical principles. Now that we've gotten the theology, what do you do with it? Right there in Ephesians. So that's where we're going. But I felt like before we go there, um, let's regain our appreciation for walking through the Word of God. Somebody asked me, um, uh, how, how long will we be in Ephesians? And I said, I, I have no idea. I, I don't know right now. Maybe ask me about three or four weeks in. We'll just, we'll just have to see. I have, a, I have a vague idea, but I don't want to scare you, right? Because there are men, there are pastors who take um, months, if not over a year, to walk through Ephesians. It is rich. It is rich. So here's, here's my deal for you, though, uh, and my challenge for you, and that's what this message is about, is if, if you can find the value in God's Word once again and renew that in your heart, if you can commit to sitting through Ephesians, um, you will be so, so much better off when you're done, okay? Commit to walking through Ephesians with the body of Christ. At the end of it, you will have such a handle on Ephesians that it will, it will potentially change your, your spiritual life. It'll change your Christian walk, okay? So that, that's the offer, not from me, but from the Word of God. That's the offer, and so you've got a chance to sit through Ephesians, I challenge you to do it. What do you think about your Bible? Is my question today. What, what, do, you, what do you think about it? When you think about your Bible, what do you think about it? Do you think, I don't know where it is, number one? Do you think, I don't like that he's not putting the words up there today uh, of the verses because I didn't bring my Bible? As I think about it, I, I get, yeah, I'm not sure where it is. Maybe it's under the back seat of the, uh, of the car. Maybe it's in my nightstand. Maybe it's under all the laundry in my closet. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe one of the kids has moved it somewhere. Maybe it's in the glove compartment. I, I'm just not sure. But if you knew where your Bible was, what, do you, what, do you, what comes to mind when you think about your Bible? Spurgeon said this one time in his very gracious way about him. He said that most of you have enough dust on your Bible to write with your finger, damnation. Ouch. Um, Maybe that's the truth about some of us in the Word of God that we own. This morning I want to show you a few passages. I want to show you what Peter and Paul, I want to show you what Solomon, Moses, and a pagan king thought about the Word of God and hopefully whet your appetite for Ephesians. Pray with me. Jesus, uh, I was reminded during the prayer time this morning of what John thought about the Word. It was you. You you were the Word that became flesh. You were this book that transformed into humanity and, and you leapt off the table. And you came to life and you showed us who exactly you are, who who God is. Thank you for doing that. Thank you. Creating us a hunger for your word. Creating us a renewed desire in 2012 to immerse ourselves in the living word.
Christ's name, who is our cornerstone. Amen. Amen. I, I've had a few Bibles in my time. Uh, let me show you what I got here. This Bible I brought. Anybody seen one of these? You got one of these? These nice faux patent leather white uh, gift Bible things. Uh, this is the Bible that you typically see where? On the coffee table, right? And sometimes it's in like plastic. It's in like one of those, you know, bed in a bag bags, you know. It's in one of those plastic bags with a zipper around it. And it sits on the coffee table in, in, in not just the living room coffee table, but in that fancy room where nobody's allowed to go in your grandmother's house where you can't actually sit on the couch or anything. And it's in there. It's that white Bible in there. And that's where she or someone in the family writes down who got married when and who had what kids, etc. But it never, in its gold leaf pages, really gets cracked in here. So if you try and go anywhere into the middle, it's like prying it apart. It, it, it doesn't get used for that, right? It's, it's decoration, isn't it? It's decoration. It looks great, but it's essentially of no use to you except for decor. Um, I got a Bible later on. Um, I have several preachers, you know, but I got a Bible later on. I remember when I was uh, uh, just going into seminary, I, I got a Bible because it was small, thin. I didn't want to be carrying around this big clunky Bible. Kim and I go to church. I don't want that big giant, you know, Bible. I'm going to give me a cool thin line Bible I looked for a long time. And then the next requirement was was the color of the of the faux leather, right? And I'll confess to you that I got the Bible because it matched my belt and shoes. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Now, some of you can question my manhood if you like. It's all right. Um, and so it is, it is uh, it's your Sunday morning accessory. Is that your Bible? I mean, is that, is that your Bible? Is that thing you grab, like your wallet? Where is my wallet? On Sunday morning, though, where is my Bible? We're going to go to church. I need, I need my Bible. Where's my Bible? There it is. I grab it. Got it. Got it. I got my wristwatch. I got my wallet. I got my sunglasses. Got my Bible. Uh, the Bible in the middle of the table. A few of you asked me about it earlier. Where did we get that Bible? Uh, it's a little tattered. It's a little ragged. It's uh, it's really falling apart. It's old. Uh, the best I can date it is back to the 1800s. Um, please don't let your kids come up here and go through this Bible. But you are welcome to go through this Bible. Um, it uh, I, I, It's probably got some worth to it. There are some magnificent uh, pictures in here, both color and black and white, uh, all protected by like, you know, that, that uh, thin paper in there. Uh, it's got these metal latches on the end. I can show you the cover because the cover, handy as it is, it just comes right off. Check that out. So <laughs> it's not supposed to do that, Steve. You can't get these just anywhere. But uh, it's kind of hard deal, and it's, it's got some cool, some cool things on the front. So you guys feel free to check this out anytime you want. But um, I thought, what a, what a great Bible to, uh, to have in the center of our family's table here to uh, remind us of the centrality of God's Word, that, that this is what we are, we're here to focus on. Um, but I got that Bible when my grandmother passed away. You know, when people pass away, you kind of go through the house, and, you know, kids are rifling through all this stuff to see who gets what, right? And, and the jewelry goes first, and then, you know, um, you're cleaning out the kitchen cabinets for the good 
China and things like that. Well, uh, I was a young, young guy, and um, I found that in the bottom of my grandmother's closet. And uh, it, it was sort of like either nobody saw it or it just got overlooked. Or, but there it was in, in the back of, of her closet. And, um, and I, I didn't really even know why, but I, I rescued it out and I, and I stole it away from all, all the getting. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's falling apart. It's, it's really, maybe a good word would be a relic. It's ancient. It's, it's an artifact, you know, or at least an antique. But maybe that's your Bible. Maybe your Bible is not the decor Bible. Maybe your Bible is not the Sunday accessory Bible. Maybe your Bible is a relic. Here's what I mean by that. In your heart, like when you think about your Bible, maybe you just think, well, the whole Word of God thing, I got it, but it's just, it's ancient. It's outdated. It's unrelatable. It's, it's an antique. And everything in it is... It's old-fashioned. It's not, it's not for me. It has no relevance for today. It's cool to keep, but there's no relevance for today. I don't know how you think about your Bible, but the men and women in the Bible had a different attitude towards their Bible. It was none of these things. 2 Peter 2.4. You can turn if you want, if you have your Bible. Or you can just listen. And I wrote these in your bulletin so that you can go back to them if you like when you do find your Bible. Second Peter chapter 1, 2 through 4 says this. This is, this is Peter. This is his thinking towards the promises that God has given us. And we would summarize that as his word. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted or gifted or handed. You didn't pay for it. He just gives it to you. It was granted at no expense of your own. His divine power has granted to us. How much? What's the word? All or everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted, there's that word again, to us his what? What's the word? Precious and magnificent promises. So that by them you may become, you might be transformed into something, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by its lust. There is a transformation that God intends to see done in your life. And in Peter's estimation, it comes through his precious, magnificent promises that have been gifted to you. You want some words out of the mouth of Peter? Precious, magnificent, granted. It's a gift. That's what he thinks about the promises of God. I, uh, I read a story a while back about a man who was uh, in an explosion at his workplace. And the story goes that... Uh, that in this explosion, he lost both of his hands and he lost his eyesight. And it, and it did significant damage to his face. He had just become a Christian. And one of the, uh, when he had begun his recovery, one of the things that he, he most lamented over was the fact that he had just begun to start reading his Bible. And now he was so disappointed that he couldn't read his Bible anymore. So uh, 
he, he thought, well, maybe Braille. I mean, that's the next step, right? And uh, then he realized that he, doesn't, he didn't have his hands. So Braille maybe is out of the question. And what he did have left didn't have the sensitivity to read the Braille. And then later on, the story goes that he, he heard of a lady in another country that began to learn, check this out, to read Braille with her lips. That seems pretty complicated. And so he thought, that's it. That's how I'll read my Bible. And he, he pulled the Braille up to his face and began to, to see if he could try and learn how to read Braille with his lips so that he all, mind you, all the while, so that he could get back into his word. And he realized that the, because of the explosion, the sensitivity in his lips weren't going to allow him to do it. But uh, he, he was pretty diligent, and he didn't want to give up, and so he tried again another day. And as he, uh, as he pulled it to his lips, he realized that his lips didn't have the sensitivity, but his tongue did. <laughs> And so, yeah, you guessed it. This guy learned how to read Braille with his tongue so that he could get back into the Word of God. What's our excuse? Can we just end the message right there? Probably. (laughs) Is the Word of God precious, magnificent to us? Do we understand that God has granted, given, handed, gifted to you the very promises of the divine? Probably not our our outlook. Romans chapter 3, listen to this. Romans chapter 3. In an argument that Paul is making, helping the nation of Israel, the Jew, his kinsmen, to understand all that they have been blessed with, okay? All the benefits or the word he's going to use, all the advantages that they have being Jews, in this argument, Paul says something here pretty interesting. Here's what he says. Romans 3, chapter 1. Then what advantage has the Jew? That's the question Paul poses, and now he's going to answer it. Or what is the benefit of circumcision? And circumcision was the mark of being a good Jew. And so, if you were a guy. And so, now, what is the answer? Are there any benefits? Are there any advantages? Here's his answer. Verse 2. Great in every respect. And first of all, If you want to underline something, maybe that's what you underline. First of all, they, that's the Jews, Israel, were entrusted with the oracles of God. What is he saying? You, as the nation, the chosen people of God, God handed you his commands. He handed you his orders. He handed you his promises. He handed you, he entrusted you. To you, first of all, in Paul's mind, he gave us his word. What benefit is it of being a two? He said, well, let me just think. Number one, we got his word first. It was entrusted to us to share and be lights for, but we got it. Look at what we have in our back pocket. That's what Paul thinks of the word of God. Abraham Lincoln put it this way. In regard to the great book, I have only to say, it is the best gift which God has ever given man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. But for that book, we could not know right from wrong. 
all those things desirable to men are contained in it. Proverbs 13, 13, if you want to turn. Psalms and then Proverbs. Proverbs 13, 13. Solomon says this. The one who, my translation says, despises. You could think of that in terms of overlooking, shunning, not holding in high regard. The one who despises the word will be. You despise it right now? Will be. What will be the result? Here it is. You will be in debt to it. It's a financial term. You will become indebted. Literally, you will become pledged to it. You will become linked, chained, bound to it like a debt. The one who despises the word will be in debt to it. But the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. What is Solomon's thought towards the word of God? Most assuredly, in a form of a warning, he says to us, if, uh, if we just let it slide under the back seat of our car and give it no, give it no regard, we, we don't give it its due attention, are we just missing something? You know what? We're not just missing something. The truth is, according to Solomon's great wisdom, we actually will become indebted to it. Whether you know it or not, you are, you are human, creation of God. You are responsible for what this book has to say. You are. And what it has to say about you and what it has to say about your sin and what it has to say about my sin and what it has to say about there being one way to salvation and what it has to say about a man named Jesus who would be the prophet told of old, you're responsible. So whether we know it or not, whether we pay any attention to it or not, we will be in debt to it if we overlook it, if we despise it, if we think carelessly of it. That's Proverbs. Deuteronomy 32. Let's move on. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is about to die. Deuteronomy 32 is a part of what they call the Song of Moses. Deuteronomy 32.47 has become one of my life verses. And uh, if you ever get a card from me, you might find at the bottom of it Deuteronomy 32.47. I've always been interested in the last words of men. It seems to me that if you've got one last shot in life to say something, you better make it good, right? Moses knew he was coming to the end of his life, and he had one last shot at the nation of Israel, and he's going to pour it out on them. And towards the end of his discourse, here's what he says in verse 47. For it is not, what is he talking about? All this stuff that he unpacks for the nation of Israel. He, he just floods them with this, with this heartfelt discourse. And then it's like he stops and he says, all these things that I've been saying, listen, they are not just idle words for you. Indeed, it is your very life. It is your very life. Now, 
um, Moses did not come up with all this stuff on his own. He was divinely inspired, amen? And so what we have from him is divinely inspired. And as it works backwards and inspiration works, and that's another message for another day, God's word is divinely inspired. He is the author. And so the song of Moses is really the song of God to the nation of Israel. And it's as if God, we can fairly say, says to the nation of Israel and down through the ages now says to us, this word that I have for you, these things, these promises, these challenges, these, these truths that I have to share with you, they're not just idle words. What does it mean to be idle? Think about it in your car. If you just idle your car, that means you put your car in neutral and you rev it. You're idling your car. You can hear this big, it sounds great. You may have a muscle car. It may sound amazing, but are you going anywhere? No, because it's just idling right there. Okay? You're in neutral, so to speak. Webster gives a couple other definitions for what idle might mean. Baseless, dead, groundless. I like this one, jobless. It has no job. Think about that in terms of this verse. What I'm saying to you, these words are not jobless. It's not like they don't have a, a, a job to do in your heart. They're your very life. They're what you're to live and breathe by. They're where you're to find righteousness and holiness and godliness and the Savior down the road. They're not, they're not useless or jobless or baseless or groundless, or dead, or out of work, or unfounded, or unused, or lazy. They're not sluggard words. They're not stagnant words. Another good, another good thought. They're not stagnant or unemployed. To be unemployed means, you, means that you're not being put to work. You might could work, but you're not being put to work. For this is not an unemployed word for you. Indeed, it is your very life. It's not a word that is meant to just sit here and not be employed in your life. It's a word that, that means to engage and be a, be a hammer and a chisel in your life and shape you and form you and conform you and challenge you and encourage you to become the bride that we were designed to be. One more, Ezra. Ezra. It's page 690 if that helps you. It's not going to help you. It's about right there. Um, you don't have to turn. This is a short one if you don't want to. If you don't want to do that. You can look later. Uh, let me try and give you a short Synopsis of context here. Ezra, the temple has been rebuilt. Ezra is trying to gather people to go back to Jerusalem. And what we find here in these, these chapters is that a pagan foreign king, moved by God, no doubt, is giving Ezra everything he needs and more. If you read these chapters surrounding, it's like he gives Ezra a blank check to take the nation who has been in captivity and escort them back to Jerusalem. And at one point in Ezra 7.25, he says this, You, Ezra, now this is a, an unbelieving pagan king, You, Ezra, 
according to the wisdom of God which is in your hand. Appoint magistrates and judges that they may judge all the people who are in the province beyond the river, etc., etc. He looks to Ezra, and Ezra has, has instruction from God. And he says, you've got in your hand the word of God. And I heard a message just on that, on that verse alone. That that ought be the attitude of every believer and not just a foreign pagan king. But that if that is the attitude of an enlightened pagan king, what should our attitude be to the word that we hold in our hand? Ezra, do all that you have in your mind and in your heart. Here's a blank check. What do you need? Take it. What you hold in your hand, Ezra, you do everything it commands you because what you hold in your hand, it's the wisdom of your God. What a great statement. Is that how we feel? Is that how we feel? I... uh, I preached a message like this a, a while back, and uh, when I was doing, doing some study for it, I found a website, evilbible.com. I don't know if it's still there, but I don't recommend you going to it. <laughs> it's a guy, basically, who's telling you every, every reason why uh, Christianity is ridiculous and the Bible is not to be believed. And uh, I was intrigued when I, when I tripped up on it one night, and uh, he had a uh, kind of a David Letterman-style top ten list. Top ten reasons why... Essentially, you don't need to pay attention to the Bible. And uh, I'll not bore you with the first nine, but when he got down to number one and I was preparing for this message, it just smacked me. For a guy who's trying to encourage others that the Bible is useless, nonsense, fairy tale, drivel, and that those who are buying into it are weak. Here, here's, what he, here's what he says. Number one. Let me read it to you. The number one reason we can dismiss the Bible. Christians actually know a lot less than many atheists and agnostics do about the Bible, Christianity, and church history. But they still call themselves Christians. What was his number one argument? It wasn't some great piece of theology. It wasn't some great debatable issue about evolution or uh, inspiration. You know what his number one argument was? Is that, you know what? You guys sitting around there in that church punching your clock, you don't even know what it says yourselves. Why are you trying to tell me that I need to submit my life to the God of the Bible? You have, you have no idea what you yourself believe. And as a pastor and one who's been trained in the word, I, I, I had to just say, there's really no theological debate for this one, is there? And I'll tell you, I went through his first nine and I thought, well, here's where you're wrong on this. Here's why this is easily explained. Here's why you're crazy on this one. And I got to number one and I said, I, I have no excuse. We have no excuse. Amen. So, Peter had a high view of Scripture. Paul had a high view of Scripture. Solomon had a high view of Scripture. Moses had a high view of Scripture. Artaxerxes had a high view of Scripture. And on and on and on and on. That's just a few. Jesus himself had a high view of Scripture. 
what, what is your Bible to you? Do you grab it as your Sunday accessory? Is it what you keep at home for decoration? Or is it an ancient artifact that is useless to you and has no point in your life? Now, you may not say any one of those things, but I'm not asking what would you say it is. I'm asking, what is your life proving out to be? What is your life proving these out to be? Um, I hope my heart isn't that or that or that. I hope, I hope my heart grows more and more that... Um, um, some of you have heard me say this before, that um, in the last several years, you know, I, in my studies, et cetera, I've kind of poured my heart. This is the Bible I use. This is the Bible I preach out of. It's where all my notes are from all my training and things. Um, if my house is on fire and all my family is out, and I don't have any pets, so don't worry about them. Uh, if I dare go in for anything, it's going to be this. And not because this is some mysterious, magical thing, but it's because where me and God have poured our, our hearts out together. And it's where, 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 I've, where I've dug in deep. And it's where he's opened my eyes and my heart. It's where, it's where the word has become living. And that could have happened in any one of these, frankly. But this is where it's happened. And you know why I'd go back in? I'd go back in because one day uh, when I'm gone, um, in my will, you know, the guy who did our wills, he said, well, just list out different stuff that you guys want to go to different people, et cetera. I said, I have, I don't, take it. Garage sale, you know, you guys just, whatever you want to do over there. Uh, but there are, there are a handful of books and this one book that are written in great detail and description in my will that Somebody, whoever the person is is supposed to read that thing, is supposed to say, let's find that book because it's got to go to his two boys. They got to have it. And let's find those other books. All of them help you to understand this one, by the way. Um, man, I hope uh, in 2012, um, we, we continue to relieve ourselves of, of these attitudes towards scripture and move ourselves towards this attitude of scripture if you don't know where your bible is let's let's just find it that's fine let's find it if you need a new one get a new one if you can't afford one there's some around in the chairs here just take them i don't that's what they're there for take them that's our gift to you they're not real expensive ones anyway take them we'll get another one and we'll put it right back in the mail if you know someone who doesn't have a bible tell us we'll get them one you have a precious gift, a great advantage. If you neglect it, it will, be, it will be a debt in your life because it is not an idle word. It is your life, and you have the wisdom of God in your hand. Let's pray. Lord, we have an opportunity as we, uh, in the coming weeks as we begin to walk through Paul's letter to Ephesians. We have an opportunity to... Um, to dig in. And some of us may not be convinced that there are riches in your word. And some of us have, uh, have known that there are, but long since forgotten that they're there. And so, Lord, we, uh, we start fresh, in a sense, and we have an opportunity now, all of us. We can, we can come together and we can sit here around uh, this table, such as it is, 
and around your word, such as it is placed. And we can say, God, speak to us. And so we will. And Lord, I ask that you would challenge the men and women who are in this room to fall in love with your word. It is living. It is precious. What a great advantage. Lord, we don't want our lives to be indebted to it because we've neglected it. We don't want it to be said that we have proved it to be an idle word, an unemployable word. We know it's our life. Cause us to, uh, to have a, an attitude that, that knows that in some mysterious act of your divine inspiration, you have placed the very wisdom of the Godhead in our hand. So we don't take that lightly or for granted. Might we be reminded every time we come into this room and we see the Word of God opened at the center of this room and on this table. And as a family of God, when we gather around, Lord, we we say that we will not be here to punch our clock. We will be here to kneel at your feet, to fall on our faces at your throne, to tell you how much we love you, to adore you, to praise you, to be humbled before you, but also to learn of your ways as we open your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.